It's a trap! Hello, and welcome to episode 194 of Radio TCX. This feels uh, weird. I am always your host, Carson Ray, here for every episode. Uh, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Tim Dugan. How's it going, everybody? And John McDermott. Hello. It's a great week to not talk about X-Wing. Uh, these two, you know, kind of alternate um, kind of every week about which one is going to be on the show. Uh, but luckily, I was able to wrangle both of them in to talk about uh, some X-Wing this week. I'm dying right now, not saying the intro line. I've said that 193 other times, and it feels super weird to not hit episode 200 uh, before, like, shaking it up. I don't know. But I guess that's I've never said it, so I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, you just stole Carson's line. Um, so, Carson, you got to pick the topic this week. What are we talking about? Uh, well, Tim, podcasting is a complicated profession. Uh, you know, put a lot of work into, you know, just bringing you guys the top content every week. So today, you know, keeping with tradition, uh, we are going to, you know, talk about X-Wing by not talking about X-Wing. Really trying to mix it up, come at this from a different angle. Well, I think it's kind of obvious to people, too, that uh, since the World Championships, X-Wing hasn't been the number one thing on our mind. Uh, but we're kind of waiting for the next season to get rolling once the point update comes out, uh, which we know is coming out in January before the Las Vegas Open or the Fly, Fly Better Open. Um, so in that in-between time, yeah, we're playing some X-Wing still. We've got epic stuff to play, but we're also playing a lot of other games. Yeah, I mean, and if you live on the East Coast, you know, I guess there's big X-Wing stuff happening right now or just happened. Uh, but, it, you know, it kind of just feels like the same two people are just playing at these events. And <laughs> it's just the two of them. Um, <laughs> it's just Duncan and Paul playing in their basement. Hey, we've still got Heaver Fever all these years later. Yeah. Can't stop the Reaver. Uh, but for the rest of us, you know... Um, this is the time to take a little break from X-Wing or, you know, play some alternate formats. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't be learning and improving on our X-Wing game. If you're like me, you know, even when you're not playing X-Wing, it's hard to not think about it. Uh, and so really in everything I do, I kind of contextualize it into, hmm, how does this apply to X-Wing? Uh, and so I'm kind of just going to take you guys through that journey uh, today, you know, talk about what I've been doing outside of X-Wing and how that applies to improving my X-Wing game. And I've decided to drag Tim and John along with me through this journey. You know, I'm just happy for once not to be the one generating all the talking points. So, uh, yeah, let's Carson take the reins, guide us through this wonderful world of talking about X-Wing by not talking about X-Wing. Well, joke's on you, Tim, because you still have to edit it. So in the end, I really control the content. All right, so I wanted to start this episode off by talking about an important concept um, an old high school teacher taught me, you know, about, you know, whenever you're working hard on something, um, it can, you know, lead to burnout. Um, and that's, you know, a pretty real concern uh, whenever you take anything too seriously. Um, and, 
you know, all three of us have decided to take uh, this game of, you know, miniature Star Wars spaceships uh, extremely seriously. And so, you know, now is the perfect time to, you know, take a healthy look at that um, process and um, what we need to do to make that, you know, still an enjoyable process uh, and not get burnt out. You know, how are we still able to do this year after year? Uh, You know, looking at my 2019 season, uh, I put a lot of effort into um, the competitive side of X-Wing. It paid off pretty well, uh, but burnout pretty real by the end of the year. And when you were uh, telling me the idea for this episode, Carson, a few days ago, I uh, used a metaphor to kind of summarize what point you wanted to get across by talking about uh, games that were playing other than X-Wing in this kind of intermediate time. Yeah, Tim, thank you. Because metaphors are great for adding any sort of credibility to any of your wild claims. Uh, <laughs> so uh, today we're going to be talking about sharpening the saw. It's just Jim. a pretty simple... <laughs> just oh, a pretty goodness. simple... Pretty simple carpentry <laughs> metaphor where, you know, you're sawing away at oh, some wood. Not Rogue One. Got and, it. Um, you know, the saw is pretty effective, you know, it's sharp. It cuts through the Save wood the pretty dream. well. But, you know, the more you grind away, um, the more dull the saw gets and becomes less effective. Um, so pretty simple metaphor for getting burnt out on any sort of grind. Um, and so, you know, the way to keep being productive is to take time off from, you know, uh, cutting those logs in half and sharpen that saw up. Um, and so, you know, how you apply this to life is, okay, you know, you're working hard on something. You got to acknowledge that it's also important to take some time off. Um, and, you know, then when you come back, you have a fresh perspective uh, and you're ready to work again. And and because we're uh, hardcore uh, nerdy board gamers, the way we take time off from one board game is to just go play uh, mostly other board games. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, it's not a perfect system. Uh, <laughs> the concept is perfect. The execution, uh, you know, there's room for human error. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I guess I just don't know how to do anything else. Uh, any game I, I try to play, uh, even if my goal is not to be competitive at it, I just end up, you know, trying to be as competitive as possible. But for me, that's how I've been able to keep um, a competitive edge in X-Wing is, you know, switching back and forth between games. Um, that allows me to never be too upset with uh, the one game. X-Wing's always been the priority number one, but um, it's fun to, you know, mix up and try new things. Um, and it usually gives you some pretty cool uh, new perspectives on uh, X-Wing. So let's just quick talk about some of the games we've been playing outside of X-Wing in these last couple of weeks. Uh, John, what have you been up to? Yeah, so kind of doing like quite a mix of things. Um, I try to expand my gaming horizons across like multiple different categories. Um, so I know like all three of us have been playing some card games. Um, you know, we play Keyforge. Tim, you and I have played some Marvel Champions. Um, but I've really tried to go back to, I guess, some of my original like kind of strategic gaming roots. Um, I've actually kind of been just doing research and kind of study on um, the game of Shogi for a while now, which is just kind of like the Japanese version of chess. Um, okay, yeah. And I haven't really played a game of chess in quite a few years, but I think, you know, X-Wing draws a lot of parallels to that. So, um, yeah, and just kind of focusing on games like that, uh, playing some other Star Wars games. I don't know if either of you have ever played Star Wars Rebellion. Um, 
but that one's really fun. It's just 1v1, one player is the Imperials and one person's the Rebels, and the goal is for the Imperial player to find the Rebel base before time runs out. So pretty cool. A lot of strategies you have to employ and think about, and so um, played a game of that just a couple days ago. Um, yeah, just a couple different things. And Carson, what have you been playing? Well, I just want to cut John off from talking about chess because that'll probably be its own whole episode. Again? Um, oh, sure. Yeah, we haven't done that for second edition. I think we did. Didn't we do well, I've never done the it. Players stayed the same. Well, John, you've only been on the show. Uh, I, and John probably knows a lot more than I do, so uh, that'll probably be a much better episode the second time around. <laughs> Doubt it. Um. Well, for me, I've been playing a lot of card games. You know, a uh, new Key Forge set came out. That's been awesome. Worlds Collide, uh, super Mag- sweet. Yeah, Worlds Collide's awesome. Uh, all Dinosaurs. about those Saurians. Uh, Magic the Gathering came out with a new format, um, so that's been fun to explore. Would you consider yourself As a though? pioneer in that new format? Uh, I, yeah, am a pioneer in that old frontier. Uh, but we're all just 3-3 three, three Elks still, so all good. <laughs> and for me, it's been a lot of Keyforge, uh, recently a lot of Marvel Champions. I think I've played that game, I don't know, 20-sometimes plus since it came out. Super fun. Really excited for the new sets coming out. Uh, I've also been playing a lot of, on the video game side, Into the Breach, uh, which is a game I really recommend. Um, I think it's on Gosh, most platforms now. It's so good, though. It's from the uh, people who made FTL. Um, and I've actually drawn a lot of comparisons in my mind between that and X-Wing. Um, Just play Apex like a bro. <laughs> but I got all the I don't think that's what I'd breach. call you, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, that's what I he's aspire the... to be. Wait, would you say he's the most broiest guy on the podcast? Actually, that might be you, John. Okay. I mean, I'll take that. I mean, how... 12-year-olds play Apex, right? So Carson's the 12-year-old on the podcast? I believe that, that too. Seems even though fitting. I'm, yeah, even though I'm the youngest, <laughs> I, I think twelve-year-olds are yeah. usually a little more computer literate. <laughs> yeah. My spirit animal is definitely a boomer. <laughs> Fallen Order has been really good though on the video game side of things too, for Star uh, Wars that fans game out is there. Beautiful, it's super good. Yeah been holding out for like a single player campaign star wars game since the force unleashed they got close with battlefront 2 but at the end of the day it was still an online shooter which i don't know didn't quite live up to the hype i don't think sure yeah i mean so we've been playing all these games um for me it's hard to you know especially um card games are like pretty similar to x-wing um especially in how you approach the metagame or you know game before you play the actual game um and so for me it's hard to not try to dive in and learn everything about it um which is of course a fun process um yeah it's like you know you can take the competitive gamer out of the game but can't take the competitive side out of me i don't know that didn't quite land but i think you get what i mean I mean, yeah, basically, right, like, uh, we're competitive people. We do th- we take things seriously generally, even though we're still having fun while we do them in most cases. Um, and even though we're not, like, directly competitive in all the stuff we're playing, I think the competitive attitude affects the way you play things, um, which is beneficial in a lot of ways because there's so much you can learn by trying to be competitive in other games that you can then apply to X-Wing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, the core game theory elements 
uh, definitely still hold up like across a bunch of different games. And that's actually kind of fun. Like the more you learn about one game, the more you kind of realize uh, the similarities across games that at first glance seem completely different. Well, and we've talked a lot about archetypes in X-Wing, and that's something you see across all competitively played games. Um, what I learned a lot uh, about archetypes, a lot of it was from you, Carson, too, was knowing enough about magic. I've never played magic competitively, but I know enough to understand like the general archetypes across the you know, five different factions or colors in that game. And we've taken a lot of that language and we've adapted it because it fits pretty well in X-Wing, too. Right. I mean, I think that's pretty well established across so many different card games. Just those core archetype strategies. You know, you have your aggressive decks, um, you know, just looking to win the game as quickly as possible. Uh, Your control decks looking to do the exact opposite. Uh, And then your mid-range decks, um, you know, somewhere in the middle. Uh, And then you have your weird combo decks just, you know, they're playing some game and then they just say, oops, I win. (laughs) and this is really helpful because x-wing you know is still pretty young for a competitive game and so really the framework and how you talk about it as a competitive game really just like didn't exist um or just was really not that well structured um compared to you know any other competitive game and so applying that framework that's been you know well entrenched from the card games um, has just been really helpful. One, in just being able to talk about different strategies. Um, but also for me, like what I how I use it practically is, you know, identifying different macro archetypes within X-Wing uh, is really helpful to um, kind of that turn zero. You know, when you see your opponent's list, you know, getting a quick understanding about what they're going to be doing by f- applying that broad lens. Well, I think an important thing to remember when you're talking about archetypes is that uh, they're not like rock, paper, scissors necessarily. I think um, archetypes give you a good framework to talk about things so you can understand the general strategies that lists are going to employ. Um, but they're not, they don't determine your fate, right? They determine your tool set. Um, and that tool set can be used in a lot of different ways. So even though, you know, in X-Wing, there could be matchups that are generally favorable for one archetype over another, that doesn't determine the outcome. It just changes the way each player has to play the game. Right, they give you a good perspective on how your opponent's going to play the game, how they're going to operate on the table. It doesn't really tell you, you know, who's going to win, uh, but, you know, having a good understanding of what your opponent's going to do is incredibly helpful in finding a victory within X-Wing. What's, you know, kind of more of a challenge in card games is you don't necessarily know what your opponent's doing right off the bat. You know, you have to wait a few turns Uh, see what cards they play Uh, so you can get an idea of what their deck is so then you can find out what the strategy is x-wing you have this huge advantage of you know when you sit down and meet somebody they hand you a piece of paper saying here's everything i have (laughs) um this is what i'm gonna do but even still i think there's like a little bit of crossover in the dial setting which is like the one piece of secret information you have in x-wing um, because you could even see your opponent set up their ships at the start of the game, um, and then you look at the first couple dial flips to kind of pick up on what strategy they're going to approach this at. Yeah, I think, um, you know, X-Wing, you get that open information in the beginning, but still, the first few turns of a card game are pretty similar to the first few turns of X-Wing, where you're still just trying to figure out, you know, what your opponent is doing. 
Well, and w- one thing that's uh, pretty interesting when we're looking at the card games we've been playing, Karski, you play a decent amount of Magic, and all three of us do play Keyforge too. And both those games are kind of in an interesting place because Magic is a very well-established uh, competitive card game. They've just introduced a new format, which creates all kinds of new, it creates a new whole new metagame for that format. And Keyforge is still a very fresh game. I think it's, you know, a year and a half, maybe a little bit more than that old. Um, and it is an entirely different way to play a trading card game. So really, these are both kind of introducing new formats to competitive gaming. Right. Well, this newest expansion, though, for Keyforge, you know, does probably feel the most new, um, you know, compared to the second set. You know, we have two new factions. Some old houses have rotated out. Um, and so, you know, especially when you look at those um, new factions... You know, there's a lot of, you know, new discovery to be made. It's completely brand new. Um, that's pretty exciting. Um, you know, discovering a new format, uh, just that process of diving in, trying to be the one to solve it first, is a really fun process. It's kind of like Christmas morning, you know. Open up those deck boxes and see what happens. And, and I guess we should mention, for anybody who hasn't played Keyforge, it's a really fun game. The uh, I guess you call it gimmick, or the style of Keyforge is that the decks are pre-constructed and procedurally generated. Um, and they have this cool setting. So in each Keyforge set, there are basically seven factions that you can play with, not unlike uh, what X-Wing has right now. Um, and then each deck you get will have three of those factions represented. So in the most recent Keyforge set... They cycled out two of the existing factions, one of them which was my favorite, Mars. Um, but they brought in two new ones, the Dinosaur Centurions and the um, Saurian, Star Trek um, Star Trek knockoffs, basically. Yeah, uh, I was not a fan of Mars, if I'm being honest, Tim. I'm sorry. Yeah, just but, a dumb uh, combo faction. Super unhealthy. Yeah, it was so fun. No, but what's really cool about Keyforge is that these new factions fit into the game really well. Um, they offer new mechanics that still work well with the existing factions and kind of bring some new elements to the table um, that allowed them to have some design space with the existing houses too and kind of introduce some new things that you could do um, that work with the new houses. So like the the entire game has evolved in a way to encompass the new factions um, without, you know, kind of changing its purpose entirely. And, and X-Wing did something similar, you know, with the, with the prequel factions. So, you know, there's some similarities in the Republic faction to maybe how the Rebel faction works, but there are other, you know, new mechanics or elements of gameplay that separate them as their own separate thing. Right, and they do them in interesting ways. Because in Keyforge, when they you know cycled two of the houses out, introduced two new ones. Um, a lot, I feel like, of what the new houses do are, are fill a similar role, but they do it in a different way. So that's how they mesh so well in other sets. And we kind of see that with the newer factions in X-Wing. Where, yeah, like you're saying, John, the Republic comes in. They have some similarities to the other hero factions, like the Rebels or even the Resistance, but they tend to do things in a little bit different way. So they kind of they can share a role in a lot of ways, but they can also do it differently. Yeah. So here, I think you know, instead of using card games to learn about X-wing, I feel like uh, X-wing helped us all, you know, contextualize the new factions within Keyforge, which is just a fun little reward. But one thing that seems to stand the test of time across all competitive games is that whenever, you know, you introduce a new format or an X-Wing, we get a points update, 
um, or Keyforge, a new set comes out, um, there's some pretty consistent things that happen in the early period of a competitive game like that. So that right after a new set launches or a points update comes, um, we see some very similar trends across all these games. Yeah, there's kind of that initial rush to shake out what's still viable, you know, competitively and see what's good, um, you know, and if things that were good maybe have been kind of maybe ousted of the light of being competitive, like what's the new role for that, you know, piece in the game um, as it exists now after this, you know, kind of shakeup. Yeah, and honestly, in any game, this is my absolute favorite time to be playing that game. You know, whenever you have a brand new format, because it's like the wild, wild west, you know, it's just extremely dynamic. You don't know what's going to happen. And each week it just dramatically changes. Okay. You know, we see results from one week. Next week's going to be completely different. You know, it just adapts and changes so quickly until you get to a more established metagame. Um, but those first few weeks are so fun. Um, and they kind of all follow pretty similar trends across all the games. And so then, Carson, I would guess that you're pretty sad that you're not going to be able to make it out to LVO. Yeah, uh, that's going to be pretty awesome. You know, you're going to get those new points updates. I don't know if we'll have card packs out in time for that. Um, I think but... it was announced that they wouldn't, right? I think okay. those are slated for afterwards. Because we'll have another shakeup then. Okay. Well, maybe I'll hit an event um, right after Card Packs comes out or something. Um, but yeah, for me, like this is the perfect time to take a break from X-Wing because once we get those points updates, I'm jumping right back in. Like it's, And that's probably going to eat up a bunch of time because it, it does take a lot of effort to, you know, you don't have much time before those uh, first few events. Uh, and it does take a lot of effort to find, you know, what is the best list uh, for that week? Uh, but it's super fun, and it's really rewarding when you get it right. And it, so when, when you're looking at approaching a, a new you know, metagame or format right after a set launches in X-Wing, right after we get that points update, um, one thing that you'll find is that linear strategies tend to do the best. And we've seen this pretty consistently uh, across the whole lifespan of X-Wing. Yeah, I mean, so when we say linear strategies, we're kind of talking about um, strategies that don't really care about what their opponent's doing. They've figured out a solid game plan for them, and they're just going to stick to that. And so in X-Wing, this kind of moves to the poles of um, list design, you know, either hyper-efficiency or just, like, all-in on aces. Is kind of where you want to be in the early stages of a format. Um, you know, with Magic, like, there's kind of a crazy trend of, like, that first weekend whenever a new set comes out, like, 90-some percent of the time, that first big tournament is won by just a very aggressive deck. And one thing you'll find in linear strategies, and I think the reason they do so well early on, is they always seem to depend on... Uh, components of the game that are tried and true and consistent across the board. So when we're talking about the poles of the X-Wing, you know, list archetypes, you have, you know, high initiative with a really strong bid, aces on one end, that's tried and true. And generally what makes those lists good is consistent across the metagame across time. 
it fluctuates in how effective it is, but especially early on, all those components are well established. On the other end, when you're flying efficiency, so like you know swarms or high hit point ships, um, those are also components that generally have a consistent value across time. Like if you looked at how good they are over the whole life of a game, um, that line is going to be pretty straight. It'll fluctuate up and down, but it won't usually dramatically shift. Yeah, and so the archetypes that aren't so successful in the early stages um, tend to be more of the mid-range strategies, you know, in Magic or X-Wing, um, because these strategies are much more reliant on, you know, figuring out what their opponents are going to be doing and making sure um, the choices they make line up really well um, with what they expect their opponents to make. So, you know, with X-Wing, once you kind of understand where the key initiative thresholds are, um, that's where mid-range can really shine in making really efficient choices um, to find effective, um, you know, choices, you know, with your pilot's initiatives to just line up slightly above uh, your opponent or to know where it, you don't need to spend those points to get that higher initiative um, because you're just going to be outdone by all the aces in the meta or something. Now, the one caveat to this in the early week is... You know, if you can be the one to identify some new powerful combos, uh, that's, you know, finding that needle in the haystack. Um, And that's what makes this kind of a fun, rewarding process because, you know, once people kind of get used to a combo interaction, uh, they can adjust and account for that. But in the early stages of a new format, uh, people often get caught off guard. uh, And that just make this powerful combo even more powerful but it is a high risk strategy right because typically if you're coming up with what you think is a powerful new combo that typically means you don't have a lot of evidence to back it up yet you're you're going out into the unknown uh and gambling a little bit on that regard now if it fails sometimes it can fail dramatically and that means you you know no wins at a tournament but when it succeeds you can really see uh your just huge advantage over time i think back to several years ago when justin fua one worlds and he brought in a list that was on in the metagame but did not use a combination that a lot of people were expecting but as it turned out it was exactly right where he needed to be and i think that's really what gave him the edge to win that championship and i think that mentality is true of a lot of like top level players of any game um, is they can kind of figure out you know what those powerful combos are in you know a couple different forms so you know and part of that is preparing to take on you know, kind of the challenges they're expecting, but maybe in different ways. So, you know, having a list that counters multiple different things, but, you know, kind of in the same way. Um, And top-level players usually have a tendency to figure that stuff out a lot quicker. Now, the shift we see when metagames start to develop is that um, you start to, it's almost like evolution of, um, you start to see certain traits in lists start winning out at tournaments. So when people start experimenting, they start to do better and better with um, whatever the new combos that they're creating with the new set or you know the new points update. Um, and then over time, that's really what shapes the meta and changes it to where you swing to the point where um, those linear strategies are less effective because now people have a better understanding of what they can do with the new set or the new points. Um, and they start to create better responses to the more linear strategies. So the mid-range lists tend to start to do better as the metagame matures. Right, and this uh, evolution happens pretty quickly, you know, thanks to this little thing called the internet. Uh, Information gets disseminated really quickly, players process it and adapt, Um, and so that's where you see, you know, each week, you know, huge, big changes. 
Um, and so then eventually that does settle down a bit. Um, and, you know, the cream sort of rises to the top. And, you know, what ends up being more successful, you know, not necessarily the most linear strategies, um, but a more robust strategy that has, you know, a lot more solid uh, backup plans because now their opponent is going to be interacting with them a lot more. And you can't just get away with your linear strategy as often. So one thing, let's talk a little bit about Keyforge for a minute because this is a game that we all have developed a fondness for. And like I said, it's interesting. It's so so it's weird because there's no Except deck building. <laughs> Brobnar? No, Brobnar is the linear sucks. strategy. They're the linear <laughs> component. Um, but uh, Keyforge is really interesting band. because you don't do <laughs> any deck building. Um, so the way uh, games work or like competitive games work is you don't really get to pick your archetype so much because you're just limited by the decks you're given since you can't alter them in any way. Um, but this has actually taught me some really valuable lessons about X-Wing generally. Well, one, you do have some choice. If you open Brobnar, you can just throw it away and buy a new deck, <laughs> roll the dice again. Accurate. Uh, but if we're not infinitely buying decks. Uh, but apart from that, yes, you are pretty stuck with uh, the deck you're dealt. Um, and what's interesting about Keyforge is all of them are, you know, basically a mid-range strategy. Uh, yes, some decks lean to be a more aggressive or, you know, some decks can be more controlling based off, you know, what collection of cards you got. Uh, and, you know, if you're playing Mars, maybe you got some combo elements going in there. Actually, the new uh, Star Alliance also has a lot of combo elements as well. But those aren't quite as busted. The learning curve with Keyforge is really just, you know, what one combo or two combos is your deck trying to accomplish and how does that kind of match up with what else is out there? Um, so, I mean, I mean, you're kind of limited to, you know, whatever number of Keyforge events there are. But what's nice is that all of the decks for Keyforge are uploaded to the vault. So you can see, like, what's performing and kind of review the cards and maybe get an idea for what kind of combos are in the game right now. Um, and from there, like, you can kind of adapt, you, you know, your strategy by choosing a deck that you think, you know, matches up against what most of the playing field is comprised of right and actually like i feel like playing keyforge and playing x-wing you know feel pretty similar in that you know when you get paired up like you get to see their deck list um you know you know basically what you're facing um you might you know um especially in a new format not know what all the card names mean um but you know as you play you build that knowledge base um, and, you know, because most of the decks are, um, you know, some variant of a mid-range strategy, um, I think that parallels pretty well to X-Wing because, you know, I think that's the most common list archetype of X-Wing as well is some variant of mid-range strategy. And so you have a lot of those mid-range versus mid-range matchups. And so I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. I think, and it, for me, the biggest takeaway and what I find most interesting about the Keyforge X-Wing comparison is uh, the idea that um, in X-Wing, if you pick a list, you're set for a tournament, you have to fly that. You might go up against a matchup where um, it's doing something you weren't anticipating or something your list isn't exactly designed to deal with. Well, in Keyforge, that happens too. You play another deck, um, they're going to be doing things, and you have to learn to deal with them. So what you have to do is you have to use the tools you have rather than the tools you would want. Keyforge, you can't change cards out in your deck, so you're not going to be able to change right, things. you don't get a sideboard or something. 
No, there's nothing like that. So uh, when your opponent starts get there, getting their engine going to gather resources or a really effective board control strategy, you have to look at the cards that are available to you and say, okay, using these, how am I going to deal with the threat of my opponent? And in X-Wing, you do the same thing, right? When I was playing at Worlds, I had my matchup with my first order efficiency against uh, a Sinker Swarm, which I knew was a bad matchup for me. Um, but like I said, this isn't rock, paper, scissors. It's not an automatic loss. I looked at the board and I said, okay, given the circumstances and given what tools I have, I had to develop a strategy to deal with what my opponent was bringing. Even though if I had, you know, in a vacuum, be able to choose my list, I wouldn't be flying anything close to what I was flying against the Sinker Swarm. You just right. need to match up better. You know, in a head-to-head matchup where you know people are doing a lot of similar things, I think, you know, the player who can better identify what actually matters in the game, um, you know, what are going to be the key, you know, ships in this matchup, often comes out ahead. Um, and, you know, I think those are skills you can build playing a lot of different games, and I think Keyforge is one of those. So regardless of, you know, what you've been doing in your x-wing offseason or you know maybe it's not even your x-wing offseason that happens you know different times for different people um there's always you know lessons to be learned uh you just got to be mindful of them and so you know part of today's process was just um taking that time to be mindful you know um track what we've been doing and you know as always contextualize it and process it into the most important um use of our resources is uh, how to improve an X-Wing, you know? That's what we're all about here. be cool if we our skills applied to other aspects of life, but, you know, that's... You gotta, you gotta deal with the hand you're dealt, right? Yeah, I think mindfulness is something uh, we all could improve on. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Radio TCX. If you've been playing some other games other than X-Wing and you've learned some lessons that you can apply to X-Wing, let us know. Hit us up on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Radio TCX. Let us know what you're doing and, you know, give us a like while you're there if you haven't already. Feel free to send us a tweet at Radio TCX Podcast. You can go on iTunes and leave the podcast a five-star review saying what you liked and why you think other people should listen. And if you want to support the show directly, please consider going on to patreon.com slash radio TCX, becoming a supporter of the show today. And be sure if you do tweet us, Carson promises to reply to each tweet personally because he is in charge of our Twitter account. So be sure to include Carson's name in that. (laughs) Again, folks, thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Uh, did you already check too to make sure your audio was coming through properly? Yep. Do you see some bars. It's coming through the right microphone. Yar. Yep. Okay, because if you're wrong, oh, you screw this up. Oh, no. Stop. Well, what was the word for the egg? <laughs> uh, what was it? Suga, wasn't it? Something like Suga. that. Suga. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That scene was so gross. It was like that melted craft singles in a coconut. <laughs> that's that was what, that's I think that was, was the that I think that is probably the best scene of the Mandalorian. Like And he just shakes his head and walks eating away. Eating the egg. Like there was so much build up to that and just like 
the execution was great. Like, bring us the egg. <laughs> all right, here's the energy I'm bringing to this episode. Yeah, well, you picked just, the topic. Just you better have all the energy. Uh, uh, a bunch of Taco Bell. <laughs> We're playing <laughs> a dangerous timer game. <laughs> Good. It'll What's be a short one. First, Carson or his computer battery. <laughs> Ooh, uh People wonder how we keep Radio TCX so short, and this, the answer is actually Taco Bell. <laughs> we hit a cap here, and we're done. <laughs> yeah, it's time to go. All right, let's have a, okay. Let's have a Baja Blast. Oh, so good! So I good. like Sangria better. Suga. The cream sort of rises to the top. 